people will often say to me, why, do, why are you taking a product there? Aren't they all vegetarian? That's a, an absolute myth. So 70% of India eats meat. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hey, this is Jerry Saber, and you're listening to episode 45 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, a podcast about the people creating the plant-based future and running vegan brands where you can get inspired, learn how they got to where they are, what's their approach, and what works when you're setting up your own plant-based business. Today, we're talking about the plant-based industry in the country with the highest percentage of vegetarians in the world and the second largest population. I'm talking about India, of course, and I'm joined by Stephanie Downs, the co-founder of Good Dots, which is a plant-based meat startup that I've heard a lot about in the past year, although they've been keeping things under wraps until very recently. And well, the wraps are off now, and I'm very happy for the opportunity to give you a better view of Good Dots' mission and purpose. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Wonderful. Thank you, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining me because, like I said, I have been hearing things about Good Dot for the past 12 months, and um, I'm really looking forward to learning more about it. But before we get to that, I'd like to learn a little bit about you. So, you know, what's your background? Where are you coming from? What did you do before you decided to um, take on India's land-based meat industry? Sure, sure. And and my path has been, I'd say, a little bit of a lengthy one as far as just finding what was really my personal path in life. Um, so my background's all in business, you know, from a business standpoint and primarily in marketing. I'd worked for various high-tech startups and IBM. And in 1999, I started my own um, internet marketing company. And that was wonderful. But after a couple of years of it, I just didn't quite feel fulfilled. And so I started volunteering at an animal shelter which was my, uh, I joke, my gateway drug into the animal rights movement was how I got started and just went there to walk a couple dogs and hug some puppies. And next thing I know, I'm on the board of directors and running the annual, annual fundraiser. So I was hooked. And then um, that led me into becoming a vegetarian and ultimately a vegan. And I, I wanted to do more. Um, I wasn't sure what that was, but started putting steps in place to be able to step away from my company. And I was able to do that in 2006. I started doing work for PETA doing corporate negotiations, reaching out to companies and getting them to implement, you know, larger decisions and, and such to change the impact on animals. And I also started a charity in 2009 that did spay and neuter programs in the Caribbean. And uh, anyhow, so I kind of sat on both sides of the table, so to speak, the corporate side and the nonprofit side. But even then, it just something didn't quite fit. So I was very fortunate to learn about what was going on in the social enterprise space of, of plant-based meats and and plant-based products and uh, that was that's kind of the, what led me here was kind of being on both sides of the table and ultimately feeling that something in the middle was the right fit for me yeah so it, it was actually hugging puppies that started everything <laughs> it's all their fault all their fault <laughs> so when exactly did you get into the plant-based meat space or, or start thinking about it well, well, that we can actually blame on Bruce Friedrich, who I'm, I'm assuming that, that you know. Um, yeah. So it's all Bruce's fault that I now live out of a suitcase. Uh, but uh, but no, it's it's wonderful. I couldn't have been happier that the paths crossed. So I've known Bruce from you know previous previous work. And um, when I heard about what was happening with Good Food Institute, I reached out to him really originally just thinking I could somehow help Good Food Institute. Oh, I forgot to mention in 2014, I sold my internet company. And so I was kind of, you know, trying to figure out what, what I was going to do next. And so I, I crossed paths with Bruce about what was going on with Good Food Institute. I uh, was thinking maybe I could coach entrepreneurs or somehow, you know, help through GFI. And he, he literally said to me, well, what I'd really like you to do stuff is would you start a company? At that time, it wasn't really on my mind that I was going to start another company, but uh, he planted the seed and, and I started doing some looking around and ended up connecting with the team in India. And that, that's kind of how it all got sparked. So this I can blame on Bruce. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so then you, you went to, to India with that idea. What led to India? Yeah, well, um, actually, that was just a, um, a wonderful coincidence. So, you know, Bruce had planted the seed. And so I was looking around and actually looked at various opportunities, um, you know, looking at possibly joining some companies that were in the U.S. I also went to Europe and met with various companies, talked, went to a conference in Hong Kong. So I spent about four months just kind of looking at the marketplace, 
trying to find a good, you know, something that somebody wasn't doing yet. And I think I, I was very blessed that I got to come at it from that angle because a lot of people, they invent a product in their kitchen or, you know, they come up with some idea and then they try to find a market for it. And I got to come at it from the opposite. I was looking at the entire marketplace, be it, you know, vegan leathers, cheese, meats, dairy, and all the different products and looking for something that wasn't being done. And what really stuck out to me was as an industry, I feel like we're doing an amazing job with the next intellectual property, you know, inviting that cheese that's a little stretchier or that burger that's going to bleed or, you know, just constantly improving products. But what I felt was a real missed opportunity that we're not focusing on is how do we scale these products? How do we get up to a mass scale so we can, you know, get it to a price that people globally can afford it and also get the distribution out there. There was just really, I would guess only maybe 5% of the planet really has easy access to these products right now. And I, I just felt all of that was a real missed opportunity. So while I was going through this search, um, a group in India had been brewing for some time already and they reached out to the Good Food Institute because they'd been trying to bring plant-based meats to India. And I just actually was just kind of coincidentally CC'd on an email and I immediately jumped at it because I'd, I'd been to India in 2012 and, and fell in love with the place. And I just felt like it was a perfect fit. You know, if, if we could produce something in India that we could sell in the Indian market and get out to all the villages and, and hundreds of millions of people um, in remote areas, we could solve what I was looking for and what this group in India wanted to accomplish was, was to bring this product to their market. Right. So just generally speaking of India, what, what was your impression of it the, the first time that you were there, especially from, from a vegan standpoint? When I came in 2012, I was vegan. I've been vegan for a little over a decade. And vegan is not a common term here, which is why we call the products vegetarian meat versus vegan meat, even though the products are vegan. And so it's it's not a well-known term here. Dairy has a different meaning in India than it does in other countries. It's It has a very spiritual meaning. It mm -hmm. has a, a strong connection to their faith. So, um, you know, that's, you know, things are positioned very differently here. And, you know, I'm so lucky to have the local partners that I have. I could have never done this without them and, and all of that local knowledge. But yeah, it is, when I came here, you know, I fell in love with India because it's so culturally, it's just so different. I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's alive. And, and I feel that they do an amazing job of like living in the moment and, and enjoying life. And um, so I just, I fell in love with the place, but vegan is not, not so easy here. You have to work at it. Yeah. Um, I, I remember from, you know, just various vegetarian Indian restaurants that I've been to that you have to work really hard to avoid dairy and cheese in, in your food. Yes. It's vegetarian. You can eat it. But, but it's dairy. Yeah, so it, it is different. And there's a bit of a movement beginning to come up here around dairy, but it's definitely going to be a, more of an uphill battle, I think, here than for some other countries. What is the role of dairy in their society? Because you, you mentioned it has a very spiritual meaning, and I do know a little bit about that, but I'd love to hear a bit more. Yes, and this is something that you know I don't I don't want to talk too much uh, because I know enough to uh, talk about the basics. But you know, in the Hindu culture, which is the primary religion in India, you know, the cow is sacred, and so the the milk that comes from the cow it's it's all part of that that ritual. And and in India, they have a closer relationship to animals than we have, at least in, in I can speak to America. So it just it's a very much a part of the Hindu culture is their relationship with the cow. I remember that. The, the few Hindu temples that I visited, I was really surprised to see how much milk they donate or offer. You just see milk cartons in front of those altars and uh, yeah. they're, they're hidden there. And it's also seen because, you know, India's roots are in vegetarianism. It's also seen as a strong protein source. Um, so a lot of paneer, paneer, which you've probably heard of, is a type of cheese that is in a lot of dishes and they view it as a protein source. And so... Um, for vegetarians, that's very much something that they, is an important part of their diet. So the, the basic idea behind um, Good Dot and the team that was working on these plant-based meats was, I would assume, not to just go completely vegan with it, but rather than that, 
to, to replace the meat in the diet of people. Correct, correct. So, you know, before I got involved, there was a, a team here um, led by, a, you know, a wonderful group of people. And, you know, some of the key players were Deepak Parihar and Abhishek Sinha and, and Tarana Mbatia. You know, they were, they were all working very hard to kind of look at the market. They'd been traveling out of the country for years. Um, Abhishek's sister, Shruti, had been going to different countries and, and taste testing products. They'd been contacting companies in America and having products shipped in. You know, they were, we faced some different challenges here with importing being a challenge um, from a cost standpoint. So here, you know, they're looking at these products around the globe and, and also taste testing them here, you know, trying them in Indian curries, which is something that was very interesting during the R&D that, um, that they were doing is when you stew something for hours, that's a different way of making it that we do, do no million where we throw it in a pan and we saute it for a couple minutes and we're done. They had been for some time trying to find a, a solution that would be a fit. And, you know, nobody was really thinking along the dairy lines. We're, we're very much going after the plant-based meat space. And so, um, you know, and that's what the R&D was, was done around, which Abby Shake heads up. Our products are vegan and we will never have any animal products in them because everybody involved is mission aligned. But, um, but we weren't, you know, the dairy is not something that we talk about in our, in our message. And continuing the, the meat thing is, do you see that meat consumption might be perceived as a bit of a status symbol in Indian society? Because I know that for many developing societies, that's like a stage that we in the West have already passed and we're still dealing with the consequences. But I think that for societies that are kind of trailing behind. That's something that if we could help them pass it without as many hurdles as we had, it, it would probably be better in the long run. Yeah. And I, I often will say to people here, you know, don't go down the path that the West has gone down, you know, learn from our lessons of factory farming. So a couple interesting things here, the um, points that, 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 um, that listeners will probably find interesting is, first of all, most people will often say to me, why, do you, why are you taking a product there? Aren't they all vegetarian? That's a, an absolute myth. So 70% of India eats meat. They used to be more of a vegetarian country, but it's slowly meat eating, or they call it non-veg, is uh, gradually taking over, so to speak. And that was something that, you know, the, the partners, Abby Shake and Deepak and them, I think they, they saw that problem coming and they want to provide some type of a solution. So that's something that we have an opportunity to kind of head that off at the pass. I mean, even though 70% is, is out there. The other thing is they have here, I would say for the most part, at least in the Hindu communities, very much what we would in the West would consider flexitarians. So you'll, you'll speak to somebody who will tell you that they're a hardcore non-veg, you know, a hardcore meat eater. But when and you ask them, you know, how often do you meet? They'll say, oh, three or four times a week. <laughs> and so, you know, in America, we'd call that a cheating vegetarian. You know, we have an opportunity, you know, if we only get one of their meals per week, we've now just influenced, you know, 25 to 30% of their diet that we've, we've been able to take away from eating animals. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic here. There's also no, which is very, we're very fortunate, there's no negative connotations of being vegetarian. You know, in America, um, which is what I can mainly speak to, you know, it's very much like meat eating is considered manly and machismo. And we don't, we don't have to deal with any of that here, which is wonderful. So, you know, the team felt, and, and then when I came and took a look, I, I agreed, you know, that it was just primed for something. It was a, it was a great opportunity. But like you'd said earlier, there, it is growing, you know, we, something has to be done or you know, in maybe 10, 20 years from now, they could all be eating meat. You know, it's, it's happening quickly because it's becoming a status symbol. And they have a significant, as you hear about in the news all the time, you know, an enormous growing middle class in India. And with that discretion, extra discretionary income, you know, people are choosing to start to add meat into their diet in some situations. And also where we see it even more is with the younger generations. They maybe don't eat meat at home, but they meet it, eat it when they're out with their friends. And it's kind of a way to rebel against their families. There's actually kind of an interesting thing in India, they actually have a term that's called closet non-veg. <laughs> and it means that they eat meat, but their family doesn't know it. Like they do it in secret. And so, you know, we can have a lot of fun with that on social media, of course. So there's just different relationship with animals and meat and killing and, and in people's minds here that it's a real opportunity for us to turn the tides. So that's why we decided to jump in and, and to go after this. And the meat consumption, I would assume that um, beef is very low or do, do they even consume any beef? Like are, are there sectors of the society that are fine with eating cow or is that completely off the menu? 
It is. And actually, you know, according to a UN report, India is over the next 20 years, it is expected to be the, the second country as far as increase in beef consumption. They're expected to be number two behind China. And they're also by far considered to be number one in increased consumption of chicken meat, um, eggs, and pork. So it's happening, beef is, is eaten, um, because there's also a, a Muslim communities in India, and it's you know not in any way taboo in their religions to eat beef, so that is consumed, although that, if you were to read in the news, that, that causes a lot of tension in, in some mm -hmm. regions, in some areas, they're actually banning cow slaughter and banning beef consumption. You see more eating of beef in southern India. There's more, and down there also you see much more consumption of meat in general. So different regions, like there's 28 states in India, we're in a state called Rajasthan, which is an extremely vegetarian area. So, you know, different, like very far north, very far south, those tend to be the biggest meat-eating communities, and it, it kind of just varies by region. So um, wh what kind of solutions is Good Dot bringing out to address this? What are the initial products that are coming out? So the first one that we've launched into the market, and, and you're right, we were very quiet for a long time. We wanted to, to get all our R&D done, and, and thankfully to, to Abby Shake, we, we just really nailed it. Um, we've, the first product that we've come out with is called Vegetarian Meat. If you were Indian and you ate this, you would know. Um, it's very similar to the texture of mutton. Um, although we decided to to call it uh, meat because that's more of a general term that people use here. Like they won't say we're going to have mutton for dinner, they'll say we're going to have meat for dinner. So it tends to be chicken, fish, and meat. You know, everything else falls into that meat category. So um, it's a vegetarian meat, and we have taste tested it with a lot of people in the West. And it's interesting, like people really like it, but they can't quite describe it. You know, so uh, because in the in the West we don't eat goat meat um, at, very much, of course. So that was the first product that we brought out. And it, it's been wonderful because it's, it's the same price as mutton. And um, so that, that puts us, you know, right on par with, with the cost of meat, which is very unique, as you know, in America the, the, and in Europe, the, most of the products are much more expensive than actual meat. And so ours is exactly the same price as mutton. And also we've done some blind street taste tests and, and we, where we don't tell people that what they're about to eat is meat. And I mean, of course, they're non-veg, so we know it's okay to give it to them. And they just they start talking about how it's chicken or mutton and, and people can't even tell the difference. So it's wonderful. Um, so that's our first product that we've come out with. We're actually getting ready to launch a product in the next month called Protease, which is something that's kind of unique to India. They, they have a product here or a, a category of products called Soy Chunks. Mm -hmm. which is something that's very popular with vegetarians. It's think of like maybe like dehydrated tofu. I don't really quite know how to describe it. We don't have anything like TVP, like textured soy protein or, or is it different? Yeah, it's a little bit like that, maybe a little bit tougher. Um, and, you know, they put it into various dishes again as a way to add protein into their diet. And, and the distribution channel that we're working with um, requested that we, we come out with something that they could sell to their vegetarian community. And that's, that's an interesting thing in India, where in America and Europe and such, a lot of times people, they're raised meat eaters, and then they become vegetarian later in life is the most common path, right? Well, here it's the opposite. Many, many people are raised vegetarian, and then they start eating meat later, or they don't start start eating meat. So there's a large community here that they don't want something in their meals that looks like meat. They maybe want to increase their protein intake and you know, eat healthier, but they don't really want something that looks like meat. So this product is going to satisfy that community. And for us, it's a win because we want to give them something that's going to satisfy that craving so that they're not pushed toward eating meat in the mission of, you know, saving lives. And so we've, we've come up with a product that we feel is superior to what's currently in the marketplace. Our product has, it's, it's a soy-based product, um, but it has no soy taste or smell. And so it's, it's going to, but it's going to be competing against the soy chunks in the market. And then the third product, which we'll be coming out with in the spring is their chicken product. And um, we've, you know, the R&D is nearly done on that and, and we'll be coming out with that as soon as capacity allows. And this is all produced in India and sourced from Indian suppliers. Correct. Everything is produced in India. We're in a, a city called Udaipur, um, which is very fortunate. It's a wonderful place to, to be able to be. Um, my, my partners, um, Deepak and Abby Sheikh and, and Taranam, they were already all located here. So it was a good fit. And, um, and so, yeah, so we, we started, um, we really just started about a year and a half ago. 
as far as the team connecting. And then we started building the factory in January. We finished it by July. We launched, we did a soft launch in August. And, um, and now we're, we're, we're um, you know, actively in the marketplace really just in this last month. All right. So the Indian production, the, you mentioned that mutton, well, the, the vegetarian meat that, that you're um, doing is priced pretty much the, the same as mutton. How do you accomplish that? I think that's a really big challenge for brands in, in the States and in Europe that they're, they're still price prohibitive for, for a lot of consumers. And for us, really, I mean, I, the only thing I can disclose, it was just a, a matter of R&D. Uh, I mean, we do have a lot of advantages in India as far as direct access to all the raw materials. So, you know, there's, I think there's only one ingredient that we have to have imported. You know, everything else we can get access to here, um, whereas many of the other companies, you know, they have to import different portions of their products. We also just have, you know, the advantage of everything here is, is less expensive. You know, the, the land, the factory rental, you know, everything that, that we're doing, um, we can get it, you know, cheaper than what the Western worlds are paying for. And, you know, this was our mission. You know, we set out to develop a product that anyone could afford and we could distribute it anywhere. And that's actually something that I, that I haven't hit on yet, but our product doesn't require refrigeration. Um, which was something that was a very important part of our R&D and, and figuring out. So um, our products are, you know, they're packaged in such a way that we can move them anywhere without refrigeration and they're shelf stable for up to a year. Are they dehydrated or you, you just make them so they, they're shelf stable? Yeah, but you just make them so they're shelf stable. So we use, you know, a technology that enables us to sterilize the product, but it doesn't require any, we use no preservatives. So it's just a, a unique packaging technology. And so, you know, to your, your question of how did we do this, you know, how did we come up with the product at that price? It really was about spending a lot of time researching lots of equipment, you know, Abby Shake and one of our, our other R&D people, Harish, and I can't even count how many hours everybody spent looking at different equipment and going out and meeting with people and just looking for those technologies. You know, we, we initially, we also looked at, at all the things that other companies out there are doing and, and met with a lot of those equipment manufacturers and it was just too cost prohibitive. And, and so we just really thought out of the box and, and came up with some unique equipment that, that has accomplishes the same task without without the high price tag. I'm going to just try a little bit more and you're, you're free <laughs> to tell me that this is classified, but what exactly do you use for your products? How much of it can you disclose? Like what, what are they based on? I can talk about what they're based from because that, that is public information as far as the ingredients on the pack, but it's, you know, the, the primary ingredient is soy and wheat and pea. So, um, you know, and that's in the vegetarian meat product. So it's, and it also has like quinoa flour and chia flour, you know, it has all kinds of different grain flours and protein isolates, uh, but soy is the primary ingredient followed by wheat and pea. And then our protease product, the, the soy um, chunk product that's coming out next is a gluten-free product. And, um, and so, yeah, so though, and then I, I can't yet disclose the, the formula for the chicken, but the, those are ones that I can talk about. And the technology that you're using, is this something that you, you developed in-house? It was a combination of, you know, working with equipment manufacturers, but also having custom work done. Um, so it was a little bit of a combination. So we tapped into experts, but we also brought some of our own R&D to the table. Because what I wanted to ask was, um, considering that your, your price point is, is so low, is this something that would work in, in other countries and other markets too? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's was one of our driving factors. I was personally realizing how few people in the world could actually afford the products that are currently in the market. I, I didn't know this in, until researching about a year and a half ago, but 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day, 10 US dollars a day. And that's not their food budget, that's their life budget. And so when you consider that a normal bag of plant-based meat costs about $6, you know, that's just not doable. And also most all of those products have to be at least refrigerated, often frozen to hold their texture. And you just, you can't move those kind of products around developing countries where, you know, or companies that don't have, you know, the infrastructure, or if you can do it, it adds a significant amount to the price. So we absolutely, and we have a lot of interest from international, which is actually um, kind of going to be my, my key role on the team is kind of looking at how we can do our global expansion into the, all these regions that don't currently have access to these types of products. And also to put it in perspective, as far as the pricing. So 
a pack of meat is, as I call it, is about 250 grams is the average weight in the marketplace. Like if you were to go buy a Beyond Meat or a Gardein or something like that, and that's the same weight as our product. And our product costs $1.75 US retail. Wow. That's really amazing. <laughs> Even if we export, it can be done in, in very economical ways. So yes, we certainly hope to expand and we've, we've got a ton of interest. We just have to figure out the right ways to do it. Um, and we're very fortunate because the, the other members of the team, Abby Sheikh, who is overseeing all of our, um, you, our India operations and Deepak, um, you know, I, I joke with people, it's like having three CEOs um, or we're a very strong team and, um, I am not personally concerned about it. We don't want to lose focus on India because we have such an amazing opportunity here and, and we're, the product is selling really, really well. We've already sold at this point over 350,000 units in, in just like a two and a half month period. That's kind of unheard of. <laughs> and so um, the product's moving very quickly and we don't want to lose the opportunity, but we also went into this thinking we wanted to find a way to get products to the world. Wow. Two months operating and... 350,000, you said? Correct. What's the market like? Is, is there much competition for meat alternatives or, or not that many? Not really. So we're, we're definitely kind of paving the way, so to speak. There are a few other players, but they're very small. They have small distribution, I should say, and, and they've been around for a while. But I think the reason they haven't really taken off is they're very much more targeted at the vegetarian community. If you look at them or you cook them, we could never fool somebody that it, it might be real meat. I don't want to say it's the TDP of the 80s, but it's not. Um, it's, it's not a high quality product that looks like meat, tastes like meat, you know, that type of thing. There are some players, but, you know, so I don't want to be arrogant and say we're the, we're the first, but we're the first to really come at the market with a product that really replicates meat. And, and also we're doing it in a very aggressive way. You know, we've brought on investors from India and abroad and, you know, we've built quite a team and, you know, we, we've came out of the gates with a, a large factory, you know, we're going at it very aggressively and we have an enormous distribution partner, which I haven't even had a chance to talk about, but that's, it's one of our, our secret weapons. <laughs> that's going to be my next two questions. The first one regarding not just investors, but the whole, you know, plant-based vegan vegetarian startup scene. Um, is there any sort of scene in India? Because I know that the um, just a tech startup system is pretty well developed, but um, is there anything comparable to what we're seeing in the States or, or Europe in terms of um, vegan and vegetarian startups happening there? Not as, not nearly as much. I mean, there's, there's maybe a couple others that I can, I can think of. Um, and I know mainly because every time they contact GFI, um, they ask me if I can help them out and I end up talking to them to try and help them get going. But no, so there's, it's not, there aren't nearly as many here um, happening in India. I mean, there's obviously a big startup scene in India, but not around the plant-based space. And, um, and, you know, so they're, they're, they're more around other types of technologies. Yeah. So no, we're really, again, one of the first to kind of forge, forge forward in this space. And the investors, well, I've spoken to, to a few of them from the States and Europe, but um, what about your Indian investors? What, um, yes. what, what sort of capital supports something like that in India? Yeah, so you know, they we were very lucky. It took of all, us all of three weeks to raise the money that we originally put into our seed round, uh, which again is unheard of. We we joke we've just been so fortunate. I mean, we've worked very hard to be in the right place to get lucky. But but here in India, I will say it's been from private investors. So there's various people who knew some of the partners involved, and they believed in them. They believed in the mission, and in the new crop capital um, from the states is is involved in the project, and they they were a big part of getting us started. Started. When Bruce encouraged me to start a company, he pretty much said, "We'll we'll back you. You know, we'll help you get started." So um, it was, you know, it was it was an amazing situation. But um, so they've been an incredible to us. And then we have various Indian independent investors. Yeah, like I said, the, the second part of this question was going to be the distribution because to to get to that number of sales in such a short time, how how did you work with with your distribution partner to to accomplish that? 
Sure. So, so this is the an extremely unique situation. Chris Kerr with New Crop Capital jokes that it's going to go down in the history of, of plant-based meat uh, phenomenons of things that happen. But so our distribution channel is a very unique model because India is very different. You know, they, they literally have millions of small villages where maybe a couple hundred people live and it's very spread out. You know, over 80% of India lives in remote areas. And so, you know, year and a half ago when we were first looking at this opportunity and I was analyzing and, and we were working as the team to kind of figure out how, what's our go-to-market strategy, what really just kept brewing in my head and that was keeping me up at night was, you know, how are we going to get this out to people? Because even if you, if we got into all the largest grocery store chains here, which the names are like Reliance Fresh and Big Bazaar, and, you know, if we got into all of those nationwide, we would only reach 3% of the Indian market. And that's where of the products that are out there that's, you know, that are currently in the marketplace, that's where you tend to see them more niche areas. Like there's a company here called Nature's Basket that would be their version of Whole Foods. And they have 40 locations across India. When you look at that, I mean, it just, we would have touched such a small percentage of, of the country. And again, we really wanted to do this on a large scale and, and try to disrupt what's happening here with factory farming starting to come in. We were so fortunate. So this particular distributor, they have a direct selling model. They have 1.2 million agents around India that literally go village to village and restaurant to restaurant. Tiny grocery stores are everywhere and they sell products into these people and they're already selling into them cooking oils and flour and crackers and soaps and different types of, of products for households and small businesses. And so now we're one of the products that they're carrying. And they have 7,500 stores around India. So we were immediately in 7,500 locations. And, um, and we have 1.2 million people that are gradually getting trained and they're out there talking about our products. Just in the month of November, we spoke at various RCM, RCM is the name of our partner. We spoke at various RCM events in front of 30,000 distributors. You know, we folks, we spoke at one in Delhi in front of 10,000 of their distributors that have come in for training. And so it's, it's a very unique model, but it's, it's going amazing. Oh, that's, um, so you're basically just starting out the gate and you're already hitting all the little mom and pop stores or whatever passes for, for mom and pop stores in India. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, we could have gone the traditional model and done the big grocery stores, or of course here they have the same as we have as far as food brokers and distributors, but it's very segregated. It's, it's just different, you know, and, and this, this was just unbelievable. I mean, this was like hitting the lottery. I mean, we just, um, you know, it, it's just an amazing opportunity. And I mean, it doesn't come without its challenges. You know, we have to really train people how to talk about the product and cooking demonstrations. And, you know, it's just unique. You know, they're actually going into people's homes or inviting them over and making them a meal and, and then selling them the product. I mean, it's something that would be absolutely unheard of in, in America, but it works here and it works really well. So I'm guessing the overall feedback from actual users must be pretty positive. Yes, it is. I mean, we, we've had the, the similar, you know, for example, mutton, traditionally people would pressure cook it or they would boil it. Um, you know, so we've had some of those challenges where we've had to update the cooking instructions or do some videos, you know, like nothing's going to be, you know, just, just without it, without its kinks. But, but once we get over those hurdles or people really clearly, we also had to translate the instructions into a couple languages because there's over 20 different languages spoken in India. Um, and, you know, so we've had to go through some of those growing pains and learn our lessons, but all in all, I mean, it's just been 99.9% .9 of the situations have just been amazing. And, and I mean, we have over a, like 500 YouTube videos about us that we haven't created. People are, loving it and they're making videos and they're posting it and sharing with their friends and you know we've we only put our facebook page up again like two and a half months ago and we have thirty thousand followers already um it's just it's really already catching on and we've barely done anything to really get it to this point wow so that's <laughs> like it sounds like it's not just the distribution you've actually got that viral growth that everyone is striving for exactly exactly yeah and i mean i think I think it's only going to pick up more and more. You know, we've had in the last month, we had three different celebrities, Instagram out, whatever you call that about us. Um, you know, PETA, PETA India is giving us a, an award in, in a, about two weeks for you know, innovative company. You know, we've already been featured in some news articles and yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's wonderful. The response, people are just loving it. It's, 
don't know how to describe it. Like when I came to, to meet the team for the first time and, you know, traveled with them some around the country to kind of, you know, I wanted to speak to restaurant owners and people at grocery stores. And I mean, I would talk to anybody who would talk back to me, right? Taxi drivers, people sitting next to me on an airplane. You know, I was trying to get everyone's perception and whether they were veg or they were non-veg, you could just see they were excited about this idea. Like it sounded interesting and they, you know, they, they were like, oh, I've been thinking about trying meat and this would be such a better way to go if they were veg or the non-veg would say, oh, I'd really like to eat a little healthier. Or I feel a little guilty about killing animals. This would be such a great thing. It was just everything about it felt so good. And the, and the team here felt so great. And, you know, we've just, we've really been, we've been very fortunate. That's another thing that I still wanted to, to explore the, the team behind Good Dots, especially the, the people on the ground in, in India. How did they come together and what's, what do they bring to the table? Yeah, so I mean, what brought them together was really just a love of animals. So we, we all share that. And some of the key people, you know, Abhishek Sinha and is, is now come on as our, our CEO of India. And he came about it through his wife and his relationship with Deepak. And, you know, they would feed animals. I mean, there's a lot of street animals here and cows and, and donkeys and other things. And they would take care of very street animals. And, and Abhishek actually had, he's a unique story in that he had a very prominent job in the government um, quite quite high up here in India people actually think he's pretty crazy for leaving <laughs> leaving his job to do this and um, but you know but he was willing to roll the dice because he loved the animals so much and so you know it, there was a whole group of people and and really was led by, by Deepak and Karanam Abby Sheikh's wife and and they were they were looking at all these different products and then, and then Abby ended up joining us later and and he actually ended up heading up all our R&D and and you know just kind of putting the whole factory together and, and he still, he does that. He's just, um, I can't describe it. He's just so passionate about it and, and constantly inventing and, and working with new things. And, and then Deepak, um, he's, I joke that he's the glue that holds us all together. Um, he, Deepak knows how to get anything done. He, he handles our finances and our legal and all the operations and procurement and HR. And, you know, he gets everything done. If we need permits or whatever, he's, he's, Everybody loves Deepak, and, and he can he can push anything through. And Abby Sheikh's wife, Taranam, is actually going to be handling our um, giving program. So we're going to be giving 5% of our profits to animal charities. And so she'll be overseeing all of that when we, we reach a point that we're able to do that. And the rest of the team, how big is it actually? Because you've been mentioning the factory and all that. How many people work there? We're at about 100 now. So we have the factory staff and then we have the rest of the team, you know, the, the finance department and legal and R&D and so on. But we're, we're already at about 100 people. That's pretty big, not just by startup <laughs> standards. Yeah. So it's my parents are constantly asking me, how many people are you employing? They just uh, they very much love that, that we're you know, employing so many families and, and helping them. And it, it is a good feeling. I enjoy visiting the factory and seeing everybody and knowing that we're helping make their lives better. And we also um, we pay them 30 percent more than the industry standard for what normally people would receive in a factory job. And, um, you know, we, we do other things like try to recycle any waste and buy recycled materials. Um, we also have a rescue goat that we rescued from a, from a butcher shop. Um, his name is Guru, Guru the good dot goat. And, um, and we also have chickens that we've rescued. And we're doing a partnership with Animal Aid here in India, uh, in Udaipur, um, which is a well-known charity in India. And, you know, we, we want to be rescuing animals and supporting them. And, and yeah, so we're, we're kind of just all around very mission aligned. And, you know, considering how, how good it's going for you and what you know about the market, what do you think is the overall potential for plant-based brands in India? Like for anyone, I'm not sure how many listeners we do have in India, but if anyone is considering launching something similar, hopefully not direct competition, but, you know, addressing another need in the markets, um, how easy or hard it is to, to enter? Well, you know, there's two perspectives on that. I, I think Abhishek and Deepak would give a similar answer to me, but, you know, I have, of course, the perspective of going to the other side of the planet to try and help open a company, <laughs> which adds a different level of complexity. Um, you know, but I, I think we face all the challenges that any startup would but I will say, I don't think it's just my perspective as a lonely foreigner in the project, but India has various levels of complexity. I would say it's harder here to, to do a startup than it is in like, let's say America. 
you know, they are still developing in many ways. And, you know, there's lots of complexities with banking and it's harder to get investment funds here if you don't have people that believe in you. You know, in America, we have so many incubators and, you know, all this stuff going around startups. So I don't know, the Indian market is, is complex. I mean, I could have never in a million years come here and done this without local partners. You know, for any, any of our foreign competitors that go to come here, it will be a challenge. The complexity of the consumer and how they perceive things. But, but if you're an Indian company looking to, to start up in the space um, and you can get past those initial hurdles of the funding, I do think that the market is enormous. You know, I mean, obviously it's four times, four times the size of the United States. Um, you know, they have more vegetarians here than we have people in the United States. It's, you know, it's an enormous group. And, and as I've mentioned before, like the, the mentality around an openness to vegetarianism is there. Now, as we discussed at the beginning, vegan is a different. That's a much more complicated topic as far as taking people's dairy away. But there is a lot of openness to returning to a vegetarian lifestyle. The market is primed for that. But, you know, there's, there's challenges that we face here that American companies can't even fathom. We can lose electricity at the factory a couple times a day. We have to have special generators to deal with that. They'll have the monsoon season here and roads will get washed out. I mean, they deal with things that we just can't even fathom. Like sometimes I don't, I don't even think we realize how lucky we are in many ways. But, but at the same time, they're so resilient and they're so determined. And, and, I, and that's something that I love about the Indian population is they, they don't see obstacles. You know, they, they will find a way around it. One of my favorite stories is, it's just the smallest example, but it, to me, it just embodied this determination and, and this never, never give up attitude that they have, which is, I, I brought this blender from the United States, a Vitamix, you might have heard of it. And one, um, actually. because I like, I like to make these shakes with like cucumbers and, you know, all those kinds of, you know, different types of vegetables, spinach and broccoli and such. And so I wanted a really powerful blender and I, I couldn't find one here. And so I brought it with me and my stupidity, I plugged it into the wrong kind of plug and oh, I just no. blew I blew it up. Like it literally like fl flames came shooting out the side. And so I said something to my assistant, Jodica, and she's like, oh, my uncle's an electrician. He, I'll have him look at it. So he took a look and he said, if you can get me, you know, you just blew out the circuit board, I can replace it. And I call Vitamix and in perfect American style, they're like, no, you just have to throw the whole thing away. We won't sell you a part. <laughs> and I was just like, but why? You know, like why it doesn't all need to end up in a landfill. I can replace this one part. They absolutely refused. So I was like, I said to Jodica, uh, I guess there's nothing I can do. Well, I come back, I go back to America for like a month or for some trips and I come back and she'd given it to her uncle. He drilled a hole in the side. He put on a new knob, completely rewired around the circuit board and put in a new one. It only has on and off, you know, there's not 20 speeds, which I didn't need anyhow, but you know what? He fixed it. They refused to give up. And, and to me, that's, um, they have it here and it's just an amazing spirit. And I apologize, I didn't mean to get up on such a tangent, but um, it's just, India is very unique. I can totally relate to that because I see that um, living in Mexico, they have the same attitude. If it's broke, fix it. Nice. Yeah, so the, the consumerism that's so prevalent in the States and yeah. um, growing in Europe as well is definitely not not as entrenched here. and from the sound of it, not, not in India either, because if you have something <laughs> and it doesn't work, then obviously you're going to take it apart and, and see what you can do about making it work again. Yeah. So I guess the ultimate story I'm trying to come around with is, you know, I, to back to your original question is I, I think that there's a big potential here, but, but people who come here, definitely they're going to need local partners or they've got to be ready to think out of the box and they might have to do their formulas and their messaging. And, you know, it's, it's very different. It's, it's not like going anyplace else. So they're, they got to be ready, ready to for a challenge. You know, I, I was thinking of another personal question back when, when we started and then I forgot it and now I remember it again. <laughs> But you mentioned you, you sold your, your internet marketing company in 2014, right? Correct. From my calculations, that means you were running that company and you were working with PETA and with charities and with, with GFI and going to India <laughs> and, and all of that. So how did all of that run in parallel just, you know, as... As a lesson to, to other entrepreneurs who are juggling multiple projects, how did you manage yours? Sure, sure. Well, a lot of it was actually fairly methodical. So, you know, in about 
as I was mentioning, when I started volunteering at animal shelters in like 2001, um, 2002, when I really got involved, I, I made a conscious decision that I wanted, I knew I wanted to get into doing good, so to speak, but I wasn't really sure how to do that. And being single, I needed to be able to support myself. And so I intentionally started putting, taking my company into a model that would enable me to step away from it. So I built it to a point where, you know, I, I knew I wanted to build it to a point where I could bring somebody in to run it for me and I could step away. And so I had done that. So I spent, you know, about three or four years building it to that point. And then in 2006, I was able to step away. So when I started doing work for PETA in, in 06, 07 timeframe, I was maybe doing a couple hours a week in the business. And I, and it had been that way for a couple of years because I'd been looking around and just doing a lot of traveling and kind of trying to decide what to do. So I was fortunate I had built it to a point where I didn't have to be involved, but it was supporting me and, and these, you know, dreams I wanted to, to take on. So, um, and that is a challenge. You know, I, um, as I'd mentioned, Good Food Institute and, and others, I don't think a week passes where I don't get an entrepreneur that comes to me and, and wants to chat. And, and that's a challenge. Like you have to be ready to to really, if you don't have a financial structure behind you, you have to be willing to bite that bullet, you know, because investors aren't really going to want to start paying for your salary out of the gate necessarily. You have to be in a situation where you can afford to take that jump. And even with us in our current venture, you know, we went for a very long time before we started, you know, any type of compensation began happening. So um, now that we're wrapping this up, two questions that are future related. One is for, for good dots. I mean, I, I have a pretty good idea of what the answer is going to be, but still, what are the future plans for not just the Indian market, but, but overall? Yeah, I think, you know, of course, we want to dominate the Indian market. That's a big focus. We want to, you know, we've already put plans in place and have already started taking the appropriate steps to double our capacity by February. And uh, so that's, that's all in, in process. And we want to continue to grow and bring additional products to the market. I'm personally very excited about the chicken product when that comes, um, because it has a very good international play. And, and then we, we do want to start looking at, at the global markets. So of course, we can go into the developed countries where products are already available, but we'll be able to bring a product to market that's much less expensive. Um, and it's more on par with the, you know, with the cost of chicken and, and other meats. Also food service is something that the industry hasn't really been able to tap into yet because of the prices. But then I also personally am just very excited at looking to see if we can find partners in areas that nobody's doing this yet. You know, like nobody's worrying about Africa or nobody's bringing it into Indonesia or, you know, those types of, of regions where we can, we can get into. So, you know, we're, we've still got some thinking and, and strategizing to do, but there's various different directions that we could go in. Nice. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what direction you choose and, and what happens there. And now the final question. Um, if we just take a wider look at things and try to imagine what could happen over the next few decades, and this is not just good dot, but the world in general, what's the best possible outcome that, that you can imagine? Well, you know, this, yeah, this all has a, a special meaning for me because, you know, with my work at PETA, you know, I was out working with corporations, like I worked with Tesla on their vegan interiors, and I even had to work with some companies on slaughterhouse systems and, you know, mount glue traps. And I do believe in leather and fur, and it's exciting for me to see all these different things that are evolving. And, you know, for, so for me, and I, I think also I probably speak for my partners at Good Dot is we want to see a world where all the solutions that are out there, they cost the same. As, as the animal-based products, they provide the same quality and, and satisfaction for people. And, and so we just make it really easy for people. And sometimes I get irritated when I'll hear people say, why are you developing something that tastes like meat when there's so many good vegetables available and such? And I mean, I don't think though, that people are really thinking through the human condition of, you know, change is hard. And, you know, that's why 90% of diets and fitness plans that get started fail, right? Because change is hard. So if I, where I would love to see and tend 20 years from now is that all of the alternatives that are out there, there's such good animal free alternatives that we just make it so easy for people that we can just start to take the animal out of the equation. Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. And um, Stephanie, like I said, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what else you, you come up with. And I'm really glad that um, Good Dot is finally out in, in public because um, <laughs> I think it was Sebastiano who, who first mentioned your name to me and he was really impressed with what you were doing. 
Wonderful, and, um, wonderful. Yeah, then Bruce and um, Nathan Runkle. So um, I, I just knew that I, I had to talk to you, and I'm really glad that I did. <laughs> well, we appreciate you reaching out. We're we're honored to to be included with the the other speakers that you've had on the show. And one of these days, we'll have to also get you maybe talking to Abby Shake or Deepak, and and maybe we'll get them on the show down the road when we have new developments and new news. I would love to do that. Yeah, I would love to to hear their perspective too. And now I said that was the last question. I've got another one that's just you know completely standard. Where can people find out more about you? You mentioned your your YouTube channel, and um, just um, so so people can look you up and um, and see what you're doing. What you're doing. Really, the best place to go is good dot dot i n. So g o o d d o t dot i n. And also if they search Good Dot on Facebook, they would find us. But I think the website is a great place to start. It talks about our story and the team and our products and our mission. And it'll just give them a really rounded perspective on, on us and what we're up to. Yeah. You have Guru the Goat on the website as well? Does he make an appearance anywhere? <laughs> we don't, but he will be out on social media this week. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Always nice to have a representative there. Absolutely. He's our mascot. Abby Sheikh, um, he's he's so diehard, just such an animal lover. And yeah, he um, he just went to a butcher shop one day and just bought all the animals that they had and said these That's these guys awesome. aren't dying. These guys aren't dying today. So so yeah, so it, it's pretty cool. So yeah, so we'll be talking more about Guru on the site, and it's just pretty exciting that right inside the factory, you know, we're making plant based goat meat. Um, that at this point, I think I calculated we've saved. Oh goodness, I'm, I hate to say this on. I can't remember, but it was something like 1,300 goats, I've calculated, based on the, the weight of a goat, meat, minus the bones. Like I had to run this whole calculation um, and how much our wheat ma- meat weighs and, and the, the packets. And, you know, so goat weighs a lot more than a chicken. Um, it'll, it'll be, we'll be even ch- save chickens faster when we, we bring our chicken product to market. But it's pretty rewarding to know we've, we've put this out. And we've had various stories on social media where a distributor will, will film somebody who says, I was hardcore non-veg and now that I've tried this, I'm not going to I'm giving up meat and I'm going to eat this. So pretty exciting to get those stories. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for um, for joining us. Happy to be here. For sharing this. Thanks. And um, looking forward to, to talking again at some point in the future. Absolutely. We'd be honored. Great. Well, have a nice evening, right? It's evening over there. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, have a nice evening then. Thank you, Jerry. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so that was Stephanie Downs of Good Dot in episode 45 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, giving us a view of how the plant-based industry looks in India. Different, but very promising. If there's anything you missed about today's episode, don't worry because we take all the show notes for you. You can find the links to all the things that we discussed, plus the transcript of our talk with Stephanie on the website if you go to theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 045 it's all there and we're going to be doing another episode before we take a break for the holidays you're tuning in from somewhere up north where winter means cold and snow well i hope you're keeping warm and if you're on the one spot right now i hope you're still taking care to unwind and relax a bit as the year draws to the close Remember, if you have any suggestions, questions, or comments about the show, get in touch directly by emailing me at jerry at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com. And if you're listening on the show on iTunes, I'd love for you to rate us and leave us your feedback. It only takes a minute and it helps us reach more people. Now that wraps things up for this week. I'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, stay amazing and remember, the future is plant-based.